Amen. Thank you for being here this evening. Take a Bible, if you have one, and turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 4, uh, 3, chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3. We're going through a list in 2 Timothy of things we're going to find in the end days, the last days, and they're called perilous times in 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1, so if you want to follow along with me, I'll read the first five verses of 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Paul writes, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. <laughs> I don't know if you're like I am, but as we've been going through the series, and we've spent time on, on many of these uh, characteristics that are going to be found in the last days, today. Has it caught your attention even more so on the news when certain of these things pop up and we, oh, we, just, we just studied that? We just saw how things are getting worse in that particular area. Look, in that area, things are getting worse. Why? Well, it shouldn't surprise us. We are in perilous times, the last days. This evening, we're going to take a little closer look at that word truce breakers. Truce breakers. Let me read you an article from the Washington Stand, and then I'll pray and then get into tonight's message. Dated August 16th of this year, in an astonishingly brazen heist that occurred in Woodland Hills, California on August 12 in broad daylight, approximately 50 individuals mobbed a Nordstrom store, stealing about $300,000 worth of merchandise and destroying display cases in the process. The Nordstrom robbery is merely the latest in a string of incidents in California in the recent weeks. An almost identical heist occurred on August 8 in broad daylight at St. Laurent's store in Glendale, in which about 30 thieves stole $300,000 worth of luxury goods. The previous week, nine men raided a Gucci store in Century City. It's not just high-end merchandise being routinely pilfered from stores with little consequences. In Washington, D.C., a popular giant food store may be close to shuttering due to $500,000 worth of products being stole as of late. Despite upgraded security measures and a record amount of stopped suspects, thieves continue to steal everything, according to giant president Ira Kress, who noted that shoplifting at the grocery store's chain have probably increased five to ten times in the last three years. The integrity of our country is eroding away. We are watching cities being overrun with crime and lawlessness, while the tenets of our society, like character and morals, are being mocked. The once typical mode of business, that of a man's word and a handshake, has been replaced with multiple layers of legalese buried behind a battery of attorneys. One of the signs of the end times is the casual handling of promises. Tonight, we're going to look at promises. Let's pray. 
Thank you, dear Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord, for being the God of truth. And I thank you, Lord, for these wonderful opportunities that we have to meet together at Hope Baptist Church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and to explore your word. And Holy Spirit of God, you who long to teach us your word, would you meet with us tonight and quicken our minds and give to us what we need, and we'll thank you for it, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I need a little help, and I have already volunteered two guys, and so they don't know it yet, but uh, would you two guys help me? David, would you and Joshua come and help me, please? Just stand right up here on the stage. <clears throat> I need some help. So, let's see. David, would you stand right there? Do you mind if you stand right, right there? Right there, Joshua. Very good. Okay, this evening, we are going to take a look at the concept found in John 14, 6. In John 14, 6, it says, Jesus said, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, so Jesus says, I don't just give truth, but I am truth. I am truth. There's, there's, there's no untruth in Jesus. He is, he's the source of all of our truth. And this evening, I wanted just to get kind of a mental picture of this. This evening, just for illustration's sake, this is not Jesus. Here, okay, this is man. This is mankind right here. You're mankind for me, okay? And for this evening, this is Jesus right here. All right, notice there is no, there is no untruth in Jesus. Not at all. Now, symbolizing untruth, a lie. Good. Let me, hold on here. There we go. This is a lie. Now, there's no lies over here, right? But the Bible says, interestingly enough, in Psalms, that out of the womb we come speaking lies. So, bless your heart, when you came out of the womb, you were already guilty of lies. Hold these. All right? He's already a liar. He did nothing more than come out of the womb. And the Bible says he's a liar. Did you know that? Check it up. In, all, in Psalms, it says, out of the womb speaking lies. Any of you mamas know this is true. Little old baby comes out, and they cry, and they cry, and they cry. You check them, there's nothing wrong. What's the deal? They just lied to you. So, so right away, right away, right away, mankind is a liar. He comes out of the womb, a liar. And he lies over here? No. He's lieless because he's truth. Over here, sorry, fella, you're a liar. Now, 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 he's got time to, to re redeem himself and rectify, so he becomes a toddler. Does he get better as a toddler? All of a sudden, he stops lying because he's spiritually mature, right? Well, no, he learns how to do it even better. Now, now he is, he's getting to be a first-class liar. He knows how to lie, but he gets, he gets chastened for it. You ever, you ever get disciplined for lying or for not telling the truth? I did. Did you ever? Okay. All right. So, so about now, he's starting to find out that you can't lie and get by with it all the time. And so, did that stop you? Just because you found out that you couldn't do it, did that stop you? So you've never told a lie again, right? Okay, um, I did. Even though I found out there's consequences, I still told some lies. And so now I'm, going, I'm, I'm getting into school, and guess what? Now I've got even more. I'm really getting this lying thing down. Are you doing okay? 
I'm getting this lying thing down. I go to school and the teacher asks me, did you do your reading? And you know what he says? But did he do it? Now look at this. Look at the difference. What we have here is a first class liar. You know what we have over here? The truth. Jesus is the truth. And if at any point you get to where you can't handle those, tough. Okay? <laughs> he gets into junior high, and we all know what happens in junior high. And junior high gets even worse. And then in, in senior high, in senior high, it gets even worse. It's incredible. But you know, come here, come here, come here. Do you know what? He gets saved. And he gets all, give, hold your hand out. You're going to give them all to your brother. Take them from the bottom. They're all yours. When he got saved, he's free. He's free. Why? Because he, Jesus took all of his sin upon him. He was a liar. Jesus took all of his sin upon him. You okay? Okay. Now he is free. Hallelujah. He's free. He's free from the sin. As, as God sees him, he's free. But now I want to ask you a question right before I have these put these down. Mankind. Remember the, remember the lies? Now, is he going to be the first guy you're going to go talk to to get a loan? And you're going to, you're going to, you're going to sit to this guy who you know has passed because he's, been, he's had all these liars here, he's had all these lies. Are you going to trust him with your life? Probably not. Why? Because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who could know it, the Bible says. So we know, even though he's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, he still has, he's still not what Jesus was. And thank you so much. Let me take these from you. Like that. Just one right down here. Like that. And thank these guys for their incredible help. Thank you, guys. You can go down and be seated. Bless his heart. Thought we were going to lose him there for a moment. But that's the deal. You see, when, uh, when we are under the burden, what was it? When we're under the burden of sin, of lies, boy, it can really take us out. But what else it does is it causes us not to be trustworthy. People don't trust us. And the only place we can go to really find that kind of trust is with Jesus. Because he is the truth. Now with that in mind, I want us to look this evening at our message describing truce breakers. Well, here's the definition. A truce breaker puts no value on agreements. No value. Oh, they make agreements, but they have no value there. This describes someone who gives no value to promises. They shy from them, not wanting to commit. And they break them easily once they're bound to them. They adamantly refuse to work with others. A truce breaker pictures someone who adamantly refuses to come to terms with the conciliatory approaches of an opponent, says one of the commentators. They, they just will not work with others. When another person is coming to try to work with them, they refuse to work with them. It's their way or the highway, you see. Truce breakers, in 2 Timothy 3.3, 3, describes people who will not try to agree. They are unyielding and irreconcilable and must have their own way, says Warren Wiersbe. I worked with a Christian school in Illinois. And so in the registration process, when kids would come to uh, the beginning of the year, they have to register, the parents have to register the kids. One year we had a little difficult parent. 
And the, the dad brought the kids in on registration day, but he refused to sign any papers because the papers are all basically contracts saying, I, the parent, promise to do this. I promise to make payments on time. I, do, I promise to make sure that my, you know, I'll watch over my kids and all the different things. He refused. Won't do it. Refused to sign anything that would bind him in any way. Well, I'm sorry, sir. Your kids cannot come to school if you don't sign the, the agreement. And so he called his wife and says, they won't let our kids in. You can hear the conversation back. She had to come over. And he made her sign the papers to get in. Why? Well, in today's society, he's a truce breaker, according to the biblical definition. No value to agreements, an adamant refusal to work with others, and it's their way or the highway. Now, it's interesting because this is not a new, a new topic. Way back in the Law of Moses, in Numbers chapter 30 and verse 2, if a man vow a vow unto the Lord or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do, uh, he shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. In other words, men under the law of Moses were bound by their promises no matter what. So if I made a promise to you under the law, I was bound to keep that or I broke his law. The law of Moses. But interestingly, in Numbers 30, verse 3, if a woman also vow a vow unto the Lord and bind herself by a bond, being in her father's house in her youth, and her father hear her vow and her bond wherewith she hath bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace at her, then all her vows shall stand. And every bond wherewith she abound, her soul shall stand. But if her father disallow her in the day that she hear, he heareth it, not any of her vows or of her bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand, and the Lord shall forgive her, because her father disallowed her. In other words, a man, when he makes a promise, must keep that promise, no matter what. But a woman, under the law, her father can nullify his daughter's vows. It goes on, verse 6. And if she had at all an husband when she vowed, or uttered aught out of her lips, wherewith she bound her soul, and her husband heard it and held his peace at her in the day that he heard it, then her vows shall stand. And her bonds wherewith she bound her soul shall stand. But if her husband disallowed her on the day that he heard it, then he shall make her vow which she vowed, and that which she uttered with her lips, wherewith she bound her soul, of none effect. And the Lord shall forgive her. A woman's husband can disallow her vow. She says, I promise to do this. He hears it. And he says, oh, no, you can't do that. That promise is now null and void, and God hears that and forgives that. So why the difference between men that when they say something, it's under the law, they can't change it. And women, who can be disallowed by a husband or by a father. Well, one thing, God has placed the woman under the man's authority. In Genesis 3.16, Under the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So in God's order, God has placed the woman under the man, and so God holds the man accountable for everything he says 
and God holds the man accountable for what the woman says, and he can disallow the vows. Interestingly, in verse number, nine, verse number 9, but every vow of a widow and of her that is divorced, wherewith they have bound their souls, shall stand against her. So the widow, if she makes a vow, a promise, it shall stand. But it goes on. And if she vowed in her husband's house or bound her soul by a bond with an oath, in other words, while her husband was still living, if she made a vow, and her husband hear it, and held his peace at her, and disallowed her not, then all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherewith she bound her soul shall stand. But if her husband hath utterly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatsoever proceeded out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning the bond of her soul shall not stand. Her husband hath made them void, and the Lord shall forgive her every vow and every binding oath to afflict the soul. Her husband may establish it, or her husband may make it void. A widow's promises are in stone unless her husband reversed the oath before he died. You say, why take so much talking about the Old Testament here on a Sunday night to all these believers? We're no longer under the law of Moses. Exactly right. We're not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't have to do all those crazy, seemingly crazy things. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. All those things that are under the law. We don't have to do all those things. But what we see here is how God felt about making promises. How God felt about making a promise. There are some very famous promise breakers in the Bible. Um, when entering the promised land, one of the local people saw how God was mightily blessing Israel over the cities around them. They, the Gibeonites, came up with a plan to keep them also from being destroyed. They dressed up as if they had been traveling for days and came to Joshua and his people. They explained how they had been <coughs> traveling and desired to make a covenant with them that so they passed through there would be no fighting between them and Joshua and his men without asking counsel from God signed the covenant, an agreement. Some 400 years later, after that covenant of peace was signed, Saul, the king over Israel, the first king, broke the covenant and sought to kill the Gibeonites. Because of the breach of that covenant or promise, God brought a judgment upon Israel. Is God concerned about promises? Well, in 2 Samuel 21, 1, Then there was a famine in the days of David three years, a three-year famine, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites, because Saul broke the promise. 400 years earlier, God brought a three-year famine on Israel. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and wherewith shall I make atonement, that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? God was so concerned about Israel keeping their word that when Saul broke it, he brought a three-year famine on the land. Famous promise breakers. Remember a man named Zedekiah? Old Zedekiah in the Old Testament. 
Zedekiah was the Babylonian appointee over Judah. He agreed to remain subordinate to Babylon in exchange for taking the throne. Yes, we will continue to pay all your dues, all your fees. We'll keep paying them, exorbitant taxes that he had to pay. We'll pay those. As long as you're going to make me king, I'll stay in submission to you. Well, Zedekiah eventually became dissatisfied with that agreement and broke the agreement. He stopped sending taxes to Babylon. The breaking of his agreement led to his being deported, his sons being murdered in front of his eyes, and his eyes gouged out. In Ezekiel 17, 15, But he rebelled against him in sending his ambassadors into Egypt, that they might give him horses and much people. Shall he prosper? Shall he escape that doeth such things? Or shall he break the covenant, the, the promise, and be delivered? As I live, saith the Lord, surely in the place where the king dwelleth, that made him king, <clears throat> whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke, even with him in the midst of Babylon he shall die. Why? He broke his promise. Neither shall Pharaoh with his mighty army and great company make for him in the war by casting up mounts and building forts to cut off many persons, seeing he despised the oath, the promise, by breaking the covenant. When, lo, he had given his hand and had done all these things, he shall not escape. So, in 2 Kings 25, 6, So they took the king, Zedekiah, and brought him up to the king of Babylon, to Riblah, and they gave judgment upon him. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and bound him with fetters of brass, and carried him to Babylon. Why? Because he broke his promise. He broke a promise. <clears throat> God is concerned about his children keeping their word. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In our flesh, in our humanity, we are weighed down with lies. We're so untrustworthy. But in Christ, in Christ we're free. In Christ there are no lies. We are to honor our commitments in Deuteronomy 23, 21, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. So if you're going to make a vow, keep it. If you're not going to make a vow, that's fine. In other words, you don't have to make a promise. But if you're going to make a promise, keep it, he said. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin. That which is gone out of thy lips, thou shalt keep and perform, even a freewill offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. A few principles from this. First of all, be prompt in paying your obligations. You ever notice that when you go to buy something on time, you have to sign? Sign papers? I'm going to sign. If you take your credit card out, you put your credit card down for something, they ask you to sign it, right? Typically, sign it. And even if they don't ask you to sign in that transaction, you signed getting the credit card. So your oath is attached to that credit card. 
Be diligent to timely honor your promises. Be prompt in paying your obligations. Businesses are dependent upon you paying your bill to them on time. Of course. Businesses need people to pay them so they can pay their creditors. They have put out money to cover what you bought from them and need money to pay their bills. When you're late, it causes them to be late. They begin to lose credit, and guess what? It costs you more. In the long run, we pay more because of late payments. I don't like paying more, do you? I don't like going to the store every time you go to the store and the prices are higher. Why are the prices so high? Lots and lots of reasons. One of the reasons is because people don't pay their bills on time. You, according to this passage, were not forced to enter into a promise. In other words, you didn't have to take and purchase that on time. You didn't have to do that. Before you made the purchase, you had the opportunity to consider whether or not you could afford it. If you charged it on credit, you needed to be sure your future income could support it. You could have delayed the purchase, but now, because you committed to it, you must pay for it. Third principle is careless words can bind you. Psalm 116, verse 18, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Jonah 2.9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Psalm 15, verse 14, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Through the years, I had the privilege of speaking with various businessmen. There were numbers of businessmen in the church back there. I became really surprised in conversations with some of the frustrations those Christian businessmen went through. A couple of them in particular told me, one of them said, we're getting close to no longer doing business with Christians. What? Said, Christians don't pay their bills. He said, it's, it's incredible, but the people of the world, I can pretty well count on them, but it's the Christians that, that try to not pay. Or they're always wanting to undercut. They're always trying to make a deal with me, so I don't pay as much. So I don't pay as much. Second businessman said, that's it. No longer am I going to put allow them to charge anything. Why? Well, they, they don't pay their debts. I'm thinking, you said Buddhists, right? You didn't say Christians. So now I'm talking Christians. I'm talking Christians in our own church, you said. I, had a hard, I honestly had a hard time believing it. But after a while, I started seeing some of the offenses. Come to find out that Christians somehow think because they're saved and because their sins are washed away that they don't have to keep their obligations. And that is a vile offense to God. Be careful when making promises. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 5, 4, and 5 writes, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better it is that thou shouldst not vow than that thou shouldst vow and not pay. So, number one, payment of a promise 
is non-debatable. When you make a promise you're going to pay, then there's no debating. You don't come later and say, oh, listen, I know I made that promise before, but yeah, things are a little tight right now. Sorry, there's no debate. God called those who failed to pay their bills on time fools. When we promise to pay, we must pay regardless of the sacrifice on us. We did not have to make the purchase, but once we committed ourselves, we are obligated. Better to not promise than to make it and not keep it. Remember Jephthah? Remember Jephthah? He made a vow when in distress. Under the law, he was bound to keep the law. <laughs> he was the man. And the oath that comes out of his mouth, he is obliged to keep. In Judges 11.30, And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord, and said, If thou shalt with all fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be, that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. And of course, we know he was undoubtedly expecting some animal to come running out to him and greet him. <laughs> Ah. It was his only daughter that came running out to him. <clears throat> Going to Bible college, work at night, I foolishly took an 8 o'clock class in the morning. I didn't get home in the morning till like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning and get washed up, sometimes just in time to rush to class. I was worthless, less than worthless. Is a person asleep worthless? I don't know. So I'd sit in class and drool. My notes were all wet from drool. And there were several times where I did not come to class on time or I slept through the class. I ended up over-absencing that class. I had made a commitment at the beginning of the semester to that class. But because I failed to follow through, my grade point average when I graduated was affected because I did not keep my commitment. From an article in, or by, Eagle Hill Consulting, describing the integrity deficit in our nation, it writes, new research by Eagle Hill Consulting reveals the majority of working Americans believe that integrity is on the decline in corporate America. 54% of respondents say that integrity has gotten worse in corporations during the last five years. The sheer volume of bad behavior in recent years is having a deep impact on Americans' perception of corporate integrity. More than half, 54% of respondents say that integrity is getting worse in corporate America. This slump is part of a larger phenomenon. According to the survey results, 70% of Americans say that integrity is falling across the nation. Three-fourths also say that integrity is on the decline among government institutions. Integrity is the cornerstone of how employees make decisions, act and react in ordinary and extraordinary circumstances. Without a foundation of integrity, all other assets are at risk. As Warren Buffett said, in looking for people to hire, you look for three qualities, integrity, intelligence, and energy. And if you don't have the first, the other two will kill you. Integrity. 
So to wrap it up, is God concerned with the promises we make? I would say that he's very concerned and he wants his people to reflect the image of Christ, who is truth, to where when we give our word, it's gold. I'm pretty much past the generation. I read about it, I heard about it, but not long before I was born, the generations would enter into business agreements. And they would do so not with signatures, they would do so with a handshake and a promise. Large expenditures being transferred, the handshake and a promise. Came time for us to buy our first home. We're going into the title office and we're going to start signing papers. I didn't know to expect writer's cramp from all the papers that had to be signed when you buy your first home. It was incredible. Here, when we moved out here, do you know the numbers of papers we signed has virtually tripled? We sat there and she said, the, the lady said, it's going to be a while. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to take three days sitting there signing paper after paper after paper after paper after paper. I didn't, I, was, I didn't take time to read them all. I just trusted them. Because if I would have read them all, it would have been three weeks. Signing paper, sign after sign. My wife and I were just signing, signing, signing. Why all the signing? Why am I signing all these papers? Because our society has learned they cannot trust a, a person's word. Our word is now, as a society, valueless. Remember all the books over here? All the lies? That's why we can't trust society. So what are you and I supposed to do? We're supposed to be in Christ. We're supposed to be in Christ, in truth. And everything that we say, no matter how much it costs us, no matter what the sacrifice, we're going to keep our word. Number one, be diligent to timely honor your promises. And then number two, simply be careful when making promises. Don't make promises idly. Think them through before you make them. We don't use the word much in our vernacular. But he says in the end times, there's going to be perilous times. There's going to be truce breakers out there. Let it never be said of you. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for John 14, 6. Thank you, Lord, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Lord, for taking upon yourself all of our lies. <laughs> Lord, there is a lake which will be burning with fire and brimstone for all liars. Thank you so much for your saving grace and for redeeming us from that lake. But Lord, as we live our lives, may we reflect your truth. And may we be careful about the words that we speak. Thank you, Lord, for this time, for this reminder. And we'll thank you for it, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
I feel like I've beat up on you a little bit tonight, and that wasn't the purpose. I'm preaching to the choir, honestly. All those people who needed it aren't here tonight. So just so you know, I appreciate you being here tonight. Join me in standing, would you please? David and Joshua, thank you for being victims tonight. I appreciate that. You're a big help. And if there's any physical ramifications for carrying so much weight, let me know. We'll, we'll take care of the doctor bill. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love and blessing. Would you go with us, I pray, and I pray that you might work in our hearts. Help us to be truthful. We'll thank you as we represent you to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.